Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. This week I'm all by myself as Andrea's been called away from home unexpectedly. So I'm up with a review of our black bottom oatmeal pie, and I'll have a preview review of a savory steak and ale pie that featured a new-to-me crust, a rough puff. So fun to say, so delicious to eat. I'll also talk about some alternative pies. Need to feed a crowd? Just yourself? On the run? There's more ways than round to make this favorite dessert. So put the kettle on and get ready for some solo sweet talk. As longtime listeners know, Andrea and I had such a blast way back in our first season in episode 14 when we introduced and baked the Totally Biscoff pie, which has gone on in something of a legend over the years, remains one of our listeners' favorite episodes and favorite recipes. Not necessarily that they've even made themselves, but just because this pie is so intriguing. It was the 2016 Pie Council of America Amateur Winner. And if you've never checked out the Pie Council of America website, I really encourage you to do so. The pies are out of this world, and the Totally Biscoff was no exception. But we hadn't talked about the amateur winners in a while, so we thought it was worth revisiting this really fun resource. In 2017, the amateur entry that won Best in Show was a checkerboard peanut butter pie from Christopher Taylor in Atlanta. Now, he won the amateur division first place in the peanut butter category as well as the best of show. Let me tell you guys, when I printed this recipe out, it took four pages. Now, this won't be a surprise to anyone who has eyeballed the Totally Biscoff pie. One of the things that makes the Pie Council winners so extraordinary is that they have so many components, and this checkerboard peanut butter pie does not disappoint. From a fairly straightforward crust, using your usual suspects of flour, salt, butter, and shortening, some cider vinegar, and also some baking powder, which I found a little on the unusual side. So you're making a single crust. Christopher suggests doing that in a food processor, refrigerating it for a few hours, and then doing a blind bake. Next comes the ingredients for a chocolate glaze, some dark chocolate and some heavy cream, which you're then refrigerating for another two hours. So that's page one. On to page two. Next up, Christopher has a peanut butter and pretzel fudge. That's right, you're making a pie that contains fudge. You've got a cup of creamy peanut butter, some more butter, salt and vanilla, icing sugar, and a third cup of pretzel pieces. This sounds fantastic on its own. You're making all of that fudge, folding in the pretzel pieces, and then putting that base over the chocolate glaze that's gone into your blind baked pie crust. You're sticking it back in the fridge while you make the next component, which is the peanut butter checkerboard filling. This component of the peanut butter checkerboard filling includes cream cheese, icing sugar, salt, creamy peanut butter, more dark chocolate, a tablespoon of cocoa powder, and a cup of heavy cream. You're beating all of that together, including your melted chocolate and cocoa powder, mixing it in with your whipped heavy cream, putting it in a piping bag, 
and putting it then on top of your pastry crust that has the chocolate layer and the fudge layer. So if you're keeping track at home, you're up to three layers, four if you're counting the pastry crust. But you're not done yet because next up is the peanut butter checkerboard filling, which is very similar to the chocolate peanut butter checkerboard filling, just doesn't have the chocolate. Again, melting all the components, mixing in your heavy whipping cream with your peanut butter, using your piping bag, and there's your fifth layer by my count. But no, 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 you're not done because you need a topping. And that topping is some dark chocolate, some heavy cream, and some peanut butter caramel dip. Now I admit this is an ingredient I am not familiar with. It's called Marzetti Peanut Butter Caramel Dip, and just those words alone sound fantastic to me. So for that topping, you have the chocolate and the cream. You are incorporating those together, putting it into a piping bag, then also piping that in tandem with this warm peanut butter caramel dip. Finally, finally, there is a whipped cream and garnish, which is just what it sounds like. Some heavy cream, some powdered sugar, and vanilla, which you are then decorating the top of the pie as desired. I will put the link to this because it has got to look as incredible as it tastes. So that's the 2017 winner, and if you do give it a try, we love to see those pictures. Moving on to the 2018 amateur entry is a pie that is no less fabulous. Jennifer Nystrom from Clarksville, Ohio won with her Guitard Chocolate Caramel Turtle Sunday Pie. She took the first place in the Guitard Chocolate category, and I'm guessing they must have been a sponsor that year. And she also took Best of Show. Her crust is a chocolate graham cracker crumb crust incorporating those ingredients, as well as sugar and butter. She then has a ganache layer, which is Guitard's organic 66% semi-sweet wafers and some heavy whipping cream. She's got some packaged caramels that she's going to incorporate with heavy whipping cream and salted chopped peanuts, a filling made out of cream cheese, heavy whipping cream, vanilla, and granulated sugar, a topping made out of heavy whipping cream, sugar, and vanilla, and of course, a garnish, which is some more of that semi-sweet wafer, caramels, heavy whipping cream, and salted peanuts. She makes that graham cracker crust and bakes it briefly, sets it aside to cool, and then, just like the 2017 winner, we've got a lot of great layering going on, including the ganache, the caramels, the caramel cream, the chopped peanuts, the filling, which is the softened cream cheese filling, then the whipping cream, and the chocolate drizzle. Both of these pies really hit all of my favorite flavors, and I would love to try one or both. And I hope I've encouraged listeners to make one or both also. I'll put links for both of those. They are, again, on the Pie Council of America's website, and we would love to see if you tackle one or both of those delicious-sounding pies. And well done to both Christopher and Jennifer for their outrageous creativity and fun with those pies. Well, moving on to this week's Bake Along review. Last episode, in episode 112, we introduced the Black Bottom Oatmeal Pie, and this recipe came from the 4 and 20 Blackbirds Pie Book. This recipe had been reprinted many places on the web, including where we found it, which was on Epicurious. Now going in, we had mentioned that a black bottom pie is a riff on a heritage pie. It includes oatmeal and some corn syrup and can be very attractive to folks who can't or don't want to eat a pecan pie in that it has a significantly similar texture, but of course would not include nuts if that's a consideration for you or someone in your family. But I got to tell you, listeners, I got the black bottom blues. This pie took me five hours from start to finish for what I thought was just okay payoff. So let me talk you through my process. 
As I mentioned when we introduced this pie last episode, I had enough pastry left over from our fresh pear pie back in episode 112 to make an entire single crust pastry. And because it was so similar to the pastry recipe called for in this black bottom oatmeal pie, I decided to use it. I pulled it out of the freezer, did my par baking, and went ahead from there. So unfortunately, I can't speak to the crust recipe on this particular black bottom pie. I know that Andrea did make this crust, and she was also fairly nervous about the ingredient of vinegar. Not that it was there, because that can be a fairly standard ingredient for a pie crust, but the fact of the quantity. It's two tablespoons of cider vinegar. So I'm anxious to hear how it worked out for her. At any rate, my all-butter crust from the pear pie worked great in this application. But now we're on to the filling. You have one and a half cups of rolled oats, that's 130 grams, a quarter cup of heavy cream, that was 63 mils for me of double cream. I used a 72% dark or bittersweet chocolate. Here in England, the brand is Dr. Octor, and it's a dark baking chocolate. I used it before when we did our Queen's Favorite Cake during last year's Royal Bakes Month. You have some light brown soft sugar, I used 132 grams, some ground ginger, salt, butter, 73 grams for me, a cup of dark corn syrup, that's a harder ingredient for me to find here in London, so I substituted my beloved Lyle's Golden Syrup, 333 mils. Some vanilla, more cider vinegar, and four large eggs. Here's where things started to get complicated. There were so many extra steps in this recipe that took time. First of all, you need to toast your oats. That's a process that takes about 10 minutes, stirring occasionally so they don't burn. I used a 170 degree fan oven. That's 325 degrees Fahrenheit in the US. Then you let those cool while you make a ganache. So you're bringing your heavy cream to a boil, adding your chopped chocolate, swirling it together. Then you're spreading that cooled mixture over the bottom of your pie crust, which hopefully by now has also cooled completely. Then you're putting the whole thing, shell and ganache in the freezer while you make the filling. You whisk together your brown sugar and your spices and your melted butter, along with the corn syrup, vanilla and cider vinegar. You add the eggs one at a time, that was four large eggs and you stir in the cooled oats. Now you put the ganache coated pie shell on a rimmed baking sheet, pour in the filling, and bake for about 55 minutes. Here's where I had another problem. My crust was already so brown after I did the fairly extensive par baking that I was really nervous about it. To me, it already looked done at that point, and here I have to bake it for a whole nother hour. So I went ahead and used my silicone pie shield. You can find these many places, they're very inexpensive, Mine is a floppy piece of red silicone that wraps around and kind of buckles into place. It worked really well, and I would encourage you, if your crust is already looking done by the time you've got your filling, do do something to protect it. Otherwise, an hour in the oven, you are going to have a black crust. As I said, this pie took me five hours with all of the steps and all of the cooling involved. I thought it was fine, but for me to spend that long on a pie, I need it to be great. I will say I got a beautiful blind bake, as I mentioned in episode 111 when we were talking about pie crust in the Intimidation Station. I discovered recently a video on the Milk Street YouTube channel, and it is about blind or par baking. I followed those instructions pretty much to the letter, and I had a great success. We'll post a link for that in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 113. I was also expecting this pie to be really sweet, and maybe it would have been had I used the dark corn syrup. Maybe Lyle's is just a little bit less sweet. But it really didn't have a lot of flavor. But the texture was good, and I did like the layers. 
the pretty blonde pie crust, the dark chocolate ganache layer, and then the oatmeal and syrup. But again, for an all-day bake, five hours start to finish, this pie really had to hit it out of the park for me, and I thought it was just okay. One that I liked better, which I thought was a lot less work, was our shoe fly pie from last year's pie month, and I'll post the links for that in this show notes for this episode as well. I'm really anxious to hear how it went for Andrea. We try our very best to not talk about the bakes in between the shows, but I do know it also took her a long time. And you guys know how she is about recipes that have a whole page of instructions. So we'll have to check in with her later on that one. But for now, if you had a completely different experience with this pie, or also found it a little frustrating, please let us know on our Facebook page. I'm really excited to have a preview review of a savory pie for this last week of pie month. As you guys know, savory pies are so huge here in my adopted country of England, and I love making and eating them. When I first moved here, I ate at a food truck called Pie Minster, and I was hooked. You find Pie Minster all over the city at farmer's markets and different food stalls where there are a lot of food trucks. They have a wide variety of meat, and veg savory pies and also do sweet pies pretty well. Early on, I bought a copy of their cookbook, which is called Pie Minster, A Pie for All Seasons. And I am such a sucker for any recipe book that is split into seasonal treats. I love that way of organizing recipes. Unfortunately, not many of Pie Minster recipes are available online. So I'm going to talk about one that is, and it's slightly different than ones that are in the recipe book. And it's a savory steak and ale pie that was reprinted on one of the UK's newspapers called The Telegraph. I made the version that was closest to that in my pie book. And it's called the Moody Blues Steak and Stilton Pie. The thing that was most fascinating about this savory pie, and to be honest, most savory pies are really like a stew, and in this case, a beef stew covered by a crust. This is a single crust savory pie, so you're making a very rich beef stew, then you are topping it with the crust. For me, the learning experience in this recipe came from that crust, which is something called a rough puff pastry. One thing I really like and appreciate about this recipe book is at the beginning they talk through about five or six different kinds of pastries and which recipes are best for them. If you remember back in first season, Andrea and I tackled a pastry, a very complicated pastry called a quanamine back in our breakfast bakes month. And that used a homemade puff pastry. The essential technique to making homemade puff pastry is rolling and re-rolling butter into the dough over and over and over again. And you roll and you fold and you chill. And you roll and you fold and you chill. And for a homemade puff pastry, you can do that all day long, maybe a dozen times, maybe more. A rough puff is a little bit of a cheat. You're still incorporating that butter using the rolling and folding method, but not as many times. In fact, in this iteration, it's only three times. So it's much more doable while still really resulting in a nice, flaky, and buttery pastry. So I had my delicious stew, which would have been a great stew just by itself. And then I had my rough puff pastry. It came together easily and it rolled out like a dream. I put it on my slightly cooled stew and I stuck it in the oven. And here's where I started to get really nervous because the butter started to seep out and it looked really greasy. I was so worried that I had not incorporated the butter well enough or the butter was still too thick. I was devastated because I had spent all day on the stew and a good chunk of time on that pastry as well. But then the kitchen chemistry started happening and the butter and the pastry came together, started puffing up, getting flaky. I was so thrilled. It puffed up, it worked. It was flaky, so rich, so delicious. And that fantastic stew underneath. I served it with mash, which is a family favorite and a great way to sop up all those delicious juices. 
I really recommend it. I recommend the cookbook in general. And if you've never made a savory pie before, pretty much any filling you can think of can go in there from curry to chicken to vegetarian options. So remember, we'll have a link to all of these recipes in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 113 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and also on our Facebook page. That was the Black Bottom Oatmeal Pie, reposted on Epicurious from 4 and 20 Blackbirds, and today's preview review, which was the Steak and Ale Pie from Pie Minster. This month, we've learned that pie is delicious and historic, but we also wanted to highlight how very adaptable and varied this dessert is. We often think of the classic 9-inch round as the be-all, end-all of the pie world, but that really couldn't be further from the truth. So in this short episode, I'm really going to stretch myself, pun intended, and talk about the many and varied kinds of pies out there all around the world. So let's start in my adopted country of England. One of their most famous pies is the pasty. The traditional Cornish pasty is a meat and veg pie that was developed for tin miners to take underground with them, but has its roots in some of the medieval pies we talked about during our brief history of pie in episode 110. Whether you call it a pasty, a finger pie, or a hand pie, it's just that. A pastry you eat without a fork. The pastry has to be thick and serve a variety of purposes, since it's acting as a handle, a container, and a delicious crust. In the mines, in fact, miners' hands were often covered with dangerous substances like arsenic, so they would throw away the thick twist of crust that served like a handle. Fortunately, we can eat the whole thing today without fear of being poisoned. And hand pies have expanded to include many fillings, not just meat and veg, from chocolate cherry to mushroom and gorgonzola. I recently saw a recipe for a brie and jam pretzel hand pie that sounded insanely good, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Pies do many really well. Andrea has adapted several of our pie recipes into smaller versions, including that crazy delicious butterscotch pie with curry crumb crust last fall in episode 63, and more recently, the fresh pear pie in episode 112. She reports that as a family of three, they just can't really get through a whole pie quickly enough, so she enjoys making the mini versions. She says that most 9-inch pies can easily be made into two 6-inches or 6-mason jar lid pies, and you might recall she made those with our coconut chiffon pumpkin pie back in episode 96. And Andrea also makes mini pies with mason jars. Listener Mary Beth taught her this trick, and it's a great way to use leftover scraps of filling. She uses the wide mouth half pint mason jar, which holds the perfect amount. She simply places the crust along the bottoms and sides, spoons in some fillings, and pops the lid on to freeze. Then anytime you want pie, you just have to pull it from your freezer and bake it, and you have a perfectly sized individual pie. But just as fun as minis, pies can go big. The slab pie trend has gained a resurgence in recent years, but it's actually a very old-fashioned way of making pie to feed a crowd. You can expand your crust and filling recipes to fill a large jelly roll pan, and the sky's the limit. Pumpkin, cherry, rhubarb, if you dream it, you can bake it in a rectangle and have that much more pie to love. And did you know the largest meat pie ever made was in Stratford-upon-Avon, England, back in 1998? It weighed 23,237 pounds and was nearly 32 feet long by 8 feet wide. Talk about a slab pie. And truly, any pie can be turned into a slab pie, and they're great for feeding a crowd. Andrea likes doing blueberry, cherry, and peach, but her favorite so far is a pecan slab pie. And speaking of variations, I'm always fascinated to learn about the many variations of desserts. From meat to fish to cheese to fruit, people all over the world love pie. In the Philippines, they love a buco pie, which is a coconut pie made of young coconuts. A Jamaican patty is a small meat-filled pie. 
Many countries, including Malaysia, Singapore, and Thailand, have a curry pie, which features a filling of chicken and potatoes, similar to an empanada, which is a pie popular throughout Spain, Portugal, Latin America, and the Caribbean. In Western Canada, there's the flapper pie, which is a custard pie topped with meringue, not to be confused with the flipper pie in Eastern Canada, which contains seal. And of course, the U.S. is home to a wide-ranging variety of fruit, custard, fried, and savory pies, from the green grape to the Frito. And wherever you are in the world, we know you've got a favorite. So please let us know what kind of pies you love to make, and whether you're a mini, slab, or totally traditional pie maker. Well, the timer's buzzed on my solo excursion. Thanks, everyone, for your patience and understanding during this slightly unusual week. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and also consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. It really helps other listeners find us. And until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.